Homestyle Green, episode number 39. How would you like to live in a house that was built in a factory? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and I am on a mission to help make homes better for people and better for the planet. And you are someone who wants to help me along that journey. You might be a building professional yourself, a building, a builder or a designer, an architect, or perhaps you're someone who is interested in living in and owning a home that is better than building code and is actually good for you and good for the planet. Um, busy week. I am a couple of days overdue for a podcast, and apologies for that. But I had a great, I had amazing morning this morning. Spoke to uh, New York, and then straight after that on the on Skype to San Francisco. So I've got one of those interviews to bring to you today, all about modular building, and it's quite amazing what is going on in the US, and I guess where there's a market for a, a larger scale. Um, before we get into that, I also had the privilege today of going along to an event that was organised by the SeaCans, uh, which is a cement and concrete association in New Zealand. Uh, and they have brought together a whole bunch of architecture students and engineering students from the three main universities in New Zealand, put them in a room together, give them a bit of food and inspired them and then give them the task of creating a... Um, a bunch of apartments in a in a real location in Auckland this year, and it was fascinating to see what they are coming up with. Some really amazing stuff, and it's quite inspiring what happens when you give um, people who are uh, have been trained. These guys are just about ready for the workforce, and sort of towards the end of their tertiary studies in in architecture and engineering. And there's some really inspiring stuff. So part of the brief is to think outside the box, literally. And we saw all sorts of modular design and um, uh, structural lattices that uh, modules slide into. Uh, what else do we see? A, a um, One was a structure that basically uh, stood over the top of an existing Buildings. This is Brown Brownfields Developments. There's an existing commercial space there, and these these guys thought, well, what if we could leave that what is already there because it's working commercial space, and build some sort of structure over the top of it, and still incorporate some of the things that people, homeowners, hold dear to their heart, like green space, and and how can we incorporate green space into what is a pretty intensive industrial area. Anyway, I'm hoping to reconnect with those guys and see if they, they were producing some really amazing work in a short space of time. They only have about 48 hours to come up with their design and then they're going to have a competition. So hopefully we'll see some, we'll be able to get access to some images of that and I'll post them on the show notes. Um, and that kind of made me think about modular design a bit, which is topic of today's interview, which we'll get to shortly. The other thing exciting that is happening here in Auckland at the moment is that Mike Reynolds is in town. Now, Mike Reynolds, for those who don't know um, about him, is kind of described as the, I guess, the founder of Earthships. And um, I, I'm not sure if I've got that completely correct, but 
Um, he has been very instrumental in the concept of Earthships, and he's here presenting a seminar this weekend or a series of seminars starting tomorrow night, the 5th of July. Uh, there's one on Saturday, the 6th of July, and then there's an, a day event on Waiheke Island. So that is the 5th, 6th, 7th of July. I appreciate that that is tomorrow in the case of when this is being recorded. So for a lot of you, um, you may be listening to this and the workshop has already happened. But Mike Reynolds uh, and the stuff he is talking about is still relevant. And I know that there's some exciting stuff going on in that field. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, apologies for the background noise there. I just had a uh, slight interruption from a very excited four-year-old boy. Um, all right, back to it. The other event, if you happen to be listening to us from Australia in Melbourne, the Building and Build and Renovating Expo is coming up on the 12th, 13th and 14th of July, and that looks like a pretty big event. Um, did get a, a message through today that the cheap tickets, uh, early um, bird tickets are available up until about today or tomorrow, so um, check that out. I'll put a link into that. That's buildexpo.com.au. Even if you're not in Melbourne, check it out. There's some great images there, and I'm sure that is going to be a great event for anyone who's looking to build a house in um, in and around Melbourne. All right. Um, let's get into today's interview. Howard Koenig. Now, it's interesting to note that Howard is not from a building background. He's from an IT background. He has held positions, quite senior positions, in places like ADP, Oracle, Accenture. And his, his expertise is in um, technology, and particularly IT, and things like software, software as a service. And so it's interesting to get his perspective and his expertise from that industry transferred over to the building sector. And I'm not talking here about regular building as we know it. There's a great video, which I actually posted a link to a few days ago, and uh, a bunch of people already have had a look at that on the Zeta Build website. And it shows a time-lapse video of some houses being, or some housing modules being constructed inside a factory. And there are loads of benefits to doing that, and I'll let Howard explain some of what those are. And the thing I keep reiterating with a lot of these interviews from overseas is what are the similarities that we have in places like New York, uh, San Francisco, uh, Europe, rather than focusing on the differences and saying, well, that's fine, look at the size of the population. Have a listen to what Howard says about what the minimal viable market is for a venture like this. Um, and I think it's really worth, uh, as I've said before on the show, looking at what we can learn from what's going on overseas. And I'm pretty excited about this sort of technology um, being able to be uh, transplanted elsewhere. Anyway, have a listen to Howard. Hope you enjoy the interview. I'll catch up with you at the end. Right. So, Howard, thank you very much for joining us. You uh, Tell us, first of all, where, where are you based? I'm based in San Francisco, California in the U.S., and thank you very much for taking time out. I understand that tomorrow is your Fourth uh, of July, so this is the a, a day, but the day before holiday for you. So probably a little bit busy. That's fine, no problem. 
Now, before we uh, get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, including what has inspired you in your journey to be doing what you're doing right now? Sure. Um, I uh, have been doing um, technology-centric startups, startup companies, venture-funded companies for about a dozen years, and uh, most of them have been around uh, business solutions around technology, uh, more in the software, software as a service space. And um, when this opportunity recently came along, it was to take some of the principles that I've worked with around uh, automated design and, and manufacturing and apply those to the whole relatively new space in terms of the design and manufacture of of next generation housing components. Yeah, and um, and so really gave an opportunity to to take some of those uh, business applications and apply it to a whole other space and and a whole other set of business problems that really have have really significant environmental consequences. For those that haven't had the chance to look at it, can you describe? Zeta, and uh, including what do you do and how do you do it? Zeta, uh, full name being the Zeta Design Build, really uh, is a relatively new name. It really, company started several years ago as Zeta Communities, and I think the initial vision was to create single-family communities of uh, net zero and energy-advantaged homes. Uh, that vision has evolved to... Uh, designing and building, which is name change, a Zeta Design Build of um, multifamily as well as single family homes and, and workspaces. And we're a company that uh, takes pride in designing uh, next generation uh, home and workspaces that really provide um, the most advantaged place to work or live, advantage in terms of energy, in terms of productivity, in terms of lifestyle. And uh, we help uh, our clients design those and and help them figure out how they can be manufactured uh, in our factories or uh, through uh, other factories that meet our specifications. Right. Um, so we'll come back to the, the manufacturing process because I, I sense that that's one of the things that makes Zeta unique. I just want to read out your mission from your website. It says that your goal is, uh, of the company is to help forward-thinking developers seeking a better way to build energy-efficient, cost-effective, durable buildings while minimizing holding costs uh, through reduced construction timeframes. So basically building better houses in less time for less money. That sounds too good to be true. <laughs> well, it may be, but um, that really is something we are delivering on, um, and and it, it you know it really varies uh, to some degree based on the specific design. There are going to be times when we really can save a lot of money. Uh, there are going to be times where we really can save a lot of time, and then there are going to be times that we can save a little bit of money and a little bit of time. So it really uh, ranges, and you know we really have to. Uh, adopt that vision to a specific project right. based on the requirements and based on the location and um, based on the unique circumstances of a project. But 
we we have found that we um, really can advantage uh, developers or, or end users uh, frequently in w- one or all of those areas. So yeah. um, a- a- ambitious, but you know, practically tailored to every particular project. Yeah. So what we're one of the the fundamentals that we're talking about really uh, is building houses inside a factory. Is that a fair summary? Um, the major components of houses. Uh, if you were talking about a single family home, yes, uh, we can build the vast preponderance of it in the factory and then just have some site work to get it sitted on the foundation and on the utilities. Uh, if we're talking about a multifamily unit, uh, we're probably talking about um, anywhere from 60 to 80% or 90% of that home uh, built in a factory and the remainder built on site uh, at, 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 at the destination. So um, a little bit ambitious in, in, in uh, the whole thing, but a good preponderance of the, of the project can be done inside the factory. We've talked a little bit about prefabrication on this show already, and I've I've written some articles. We 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 interviewed the the CEO of Prefab New Zealand uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the typical approach seems to be, um, as you described, single family dwellings, quite small, um, and people thinking of them more as as a holiday home at this stage. You you're providing much much larger homes and multi-family homes. What are the limitations of this sort of prefabrication? Well, a primary limitation is transportation costs. Yep. Uh, so here in the States, um, there's a high cost of transporting the units um, by carrier. So we usually have a limit of several hundred miles of which a unit can be transported cost effectively. Um, I would say that's the the biggest constraint. When you also layer in other constraints imposed by either rail or or, or truck, you you get into the the width and length of the units having to meet certain requirements. Yeah. Um, if you were shipping by barge, either domestically or internationally, um, some of those limitations would be released, but effectively at the other end, you'd still have those limitations because you'd have to transport the units from the, the, the port site to the actual home building site. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say transportation is one. Um, you know, access to the materials and the specific, uh, um, requirements of a particular project can be another constraint. We we um, have a factory right now that's mostly geared around good construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just um, coming out with our product in light steel, but um, you know the uh, the, uh, the the zoning requirements around wood and or steel can also be a constraint. So you know there are various location specific. Uh, zoning requirements, permitting requirements as well. And some of those have not been brought up to speed to deal with contemporary factory-built housing. 
Right. So right. There, there are some external constraints. Yeah, yeah. One of the other issues that I've been aware of is the size of the market and the, and the fact that if you're setting up an operation of this size, you, you need to have a, a minimum demand size to warrant all the initial investment in setting up the, uh, the factory, essentially. It, has that been a problem for Zeta or is there a, a minimum demand size to, to make an operation like this a viable option? It's a very good question. Um, there, there uh, is, and, and when you're doing mostly multifamily like we're uh, starting to do here in the Bay Area, um, that those projects tend to be lumpy. Yeah. So on top of the uh, break-even analysis, and the minimum levels uh, that are ongoing, you need to gear up and gear down to fulfill the the demands of a particular project. So you, you're you are correct. There are some um, minimum um, uh, operating levels that you would need to create, depending on what your overhead is, what your fixed costs are, what your variable costs are. Yeah, um, we we've passed those here in California, but it's something we look at very, very carefully before we enter a new market. We have plans to enter markets uh, in the U.S., in the Southeast, and the Northeast over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, and it's something we carefully examine. And when we look at international expansion, it is something that you need to carefully examine as well because um, if you uh, put the investment into a factory and you're not, you don't get up to break even, relatively quickly you can lose a lot of money very very quickly yeah, so yeah, yeah. can you can you give us some numbers around that what what sort of number of dwellings are you producing um we're producing well you know in california we have uh some very very large multi-million dollar projects so we're clearly above the the break-even point um but at our initial factory um we found um, our, our break-even point in annually in the in the mid-teens is a break of millions of dollars of, of revenue, and you, you need to understand um, what you're building and at what kind of, of margins or cost structures you have to, to relate that back. But it is a fair amount of housing, and I would say, um, you know, it. You know, a, a reasonable break-even point might be uh, producing uh, sort of one module a day um, of whatever you're producing. And, you know, depending on the, how big the factory is and how many workers you have and, you know, what's in that module. But, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a fairly robust set of demand equations that you need to, you need to consider. And so a module would be equivalent to a house or a dwelling? So it could be a half a house or a third of a house, okay. depending on how big the dwelling is. And, you you know, you asked the question earlier about small housing versus big housing. I mean, we produced um, single family homes that are 2,400 square feet that might be five or six modules. We've right. also produced cottages that might be a single module yep. um, that could be, uh, you know, 300 square feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very hot product right now is a micro unit studio. Which is usually typically in a you know a multifamily multi-story building, and we're seeing a lot of interest in 250 square foot uh, studio apartments. So it's a wide range, and those would tend to be one or two uh, mods, depending on how it's laid out. Is that something that slots into an existing bigger structure? It is very much so. 
Exactly. Cool. Stepping back from your operation briefly, what do you see as the biggest challenges in the building industry right now? Change. Um, the building industry is a very mature industry that's very averse to change. And um, on top of that, if you layer in um, the perceptions, uh, I might add negative perceptions of first generation modular, um, there's a reflex, a knee-jerk reflex to minimize the impact both short and longer term. And what we're starting to see is the more sophisticated builders who understand the possibilities or the problems are starting to, to do some, some pilot adoptions. And yeah. uh, some of the more um, uh, conservative builders are waiting to see um, how this plays out or, or actually even trying to charge more for modular because they don't understand it. Right. So I, I, I think you have the, 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 the reflexes of, you know, risk averse, mature industry of, of companies that are taking a wait and see approach to it, even though, um, the, the characteristics of it have changed pretty dramatically. Yeah. I think, uh, one of my, uh, philosophies of, of internationally that I talk about is that there's more similarities with us as humans and our, our building stock around the world than there are differences and, and certainly some of the things you're describing there around um, resistance to change and adverse to, to new risks they're just as relevant here in Auckland and, and in Christchurch as, as they are in the UK and, and across the US as well so very relevant issues um, it, 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 and, and even going a little bit further, um, because what came to mind is, you know, when you have disasters or problem areas and you need quick deployment housing, that's another space that some of our solutions can be effective when after a disaster or because of, of some other criteria, uh, the need is for workforce housing or quick deployment housing. Yeah. Uh, modular can really have a strong impact. That issue of quick um, deployment, I think, is, is, is an obvious strength of modular housing. It's also a potential detractor because people associate modular and prefabrication with temporary. Do you have that issue? Yes, we do. And um, what we're seeing is a dramatic change in um, the products themselves um I, you know i think what that conjures up is you know work camps and you know uh oil fields in some remote location where you know people are living dormitory style yeah and, and really bad school buildings in our case <laughs> yes <laughs> with really bad services yeah, absolutely uh, yeah um we're, we're seeing a, a a paradigm shift in uh, the kinds of workforce housing people insist on the uh, requirements around that and um, and, you know, really uh, trying to create a more sustainable living environment for the workers and the communities. Yeah. So, you know, I, I when I say, you know, so quick deployment housing, I'm thinking of next generation quick deployment where you're creating a, a living environment that everybody feels good about. And, and I think that that'll be much more the next generation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, now, so you've, you've, you've touched already on some of the key advantages of this type of building. Are there any other uh, other than the, the speed that really uh, stand out for you? Well, the environmental impact, uh, let's just talk about energy consumption. Um, you know, in the tests we've done, if you take a comparable um, home and you, you built it on site outdoors and you built the same uh, home in a factory with uh, good quality control, we're finding much higher energy efficiency standards. Also, you know, the, the kinds of specifications we do uh, for the things we built in our factories, we use much more energy advantage products. Uh, we use much more environmentally friendly materials. Um, and, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, a whole, whole uh, ecological benefit of of, of of impact on the environment and impact on the workspace. So when you when you talk about energy efficiency, there you, are you talking about the production process of the building or the energy efficiency of the completed uh, dwelling? Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about all three things. I'm talking about the components you bring to bear on it when you can specify it for production in the factory. You do when you bring in more energy efficient materials. You assemble it better because you have quality control in the factory and you have uh, production standards and manufacturing standards. And the end result is when it's delivered, the unit um, has, you know, a much better energy efficiency profile than a comparable unit that might have been constructed on site, typically, based on our testing. Now, um, Looking to looking into the future, what's your vision for the building industry in say twenty twenty? I think you'll see a, a a much higher adoption of modular units as a as a standardized component of manufacturing, and I I, I think it'll solve lots of different problems. It'll solve labor problems. It'll solve uh, energy problems, and it'll solve speed problems. And I think you'll see. Um, the specification and the configuration of those units by end users be, uh, you know, much more mainstream and then the actual building to include many, many more modular components that can be delivered in uh, and, and have an impact on the overall project. So I think uh, just a much higher adoption of, of modular techniques. I really like the idea of... Uh, when you crash a car, when you, you're able to go to a scrapyard and, and find a panel of your particular make or model and replace just that section of it, providing the damage isn't too great. Is that ever going to happen for houses when I want to replace one wall um, in its entirety and just slot in a, a new wall or a new section of a house? You know, it's so funny you ask that. We just had a, we were engaged with a large general contractor on a big project here in Silicon Valley. And the developer said, hey, I want to have modular kitchens and modular bathrooms. Yep. And I said, oh, there's got to be lots of people who are doing modular bathrooms. And and they said to me, no, there's not. Can you do it? And <laughs> and I think this, <laughs> and I said, that's not really our core bathroom. But 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 let's say, you know, in the future, let's say you you have, a, a you know, it is modular and you decide, well, you really don't like the fixtures or your needs have changed and you want a hot tub in the bathroom or you want a different kind of 
fixtures, I could see those becoming all modular. And you say, well, I, I took the base back when I built it, but now I really want to have much higher end kinds of materials mm-hmm. and you just order up like you would a car fender. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, that can be standardized even across manufacturers. So, uh, you know, just like a sink is standardized today, um, you know, to some degree, um, you know, the, the plug in for those modules could be standardized as well. So, yeah. Now, I've, I've had a couple of technical questions because I, I, I put out to some of my audience that I was going to be speaking with you. Um, and one of our keen listeners is interested to find out some of the information about the way insulation is installed. Do you install insulation um, in the factory or is that done on site? We, we almost always install it in the factory. Uh, we might do some additional insulation on site. Uh, particularly if we're delivering white boxes into a, a bigger unit. But mm-hmm. uh, when I say white boxes, that usually implies the building wrap uh, is done in our factory and it is white. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it right. has to be white, right. but, but, but typically. And it, one of the secret sauces of, of energy efficiency is that building wrap. And yeah. uh, uh, almost always that's completed in our factory. And, what are the quality control uh, advantages of doing that? Well, it, you know, most of the energy efficiency benefits are gained by the proper uh, wrap. And so we have a, a manager of quality assurance in our factory who's testing to make sure that that is done right. And we have the supervisory levels of of the workers in the factory, and we're making sure it's done to the spec and they have a workstation, uh, you know, in the factory that they can look at and make sure it conforms to the specifications. So we, we, we particularly in the building wrap, we have a very high degree of, of standardization and, and uh, standards for how it's done. So um, uh, we're, we're pretty serious about that because that's where much of the energy benefit comes from. We're, we're getting a little bit technical, but what type of wrap do you use? And does it include an airtight layer? It typically does, particularly if you're doing net zero energy housing, which we do sometimes, depending on the on the price uh, requirements or price limitations. But you know, we we really have a whole series of of Zeta specifications for net zero energy, energy advantage, or just housing. And you know, we could we could share those with you separately. But right. And for those modules, would you uh, blow a door test them and, and do testing of that air tightness before they they get shipped? Oh yeah, we we uh, both in the setup of the specification, we do uh, energy testing as well as in the the delivery of the units. So uh, we do energy modeling and energy testing to to make sure that the unit as delivered meets the specification that we set out. So um, that's a standard part of our process. And then one of the other questions is about thermal bridging and conductivity, particularly at uh, the junctions of modules. Is that something that you've looked at? Yeah, it's not something I can talk about because it's beyond my personal um, experience, but I could refer you to our design services group and our product group who could, uh, you know, have a more intelligent conversation on that. Right. But clearly those sorts of issues have been thought through and you've got solutions in place to address that 
because what we're getting to there uh, is quite a high level of performance. And I guess the, the fact that you offer that zero energy range, that specification would, would mean that you, that some smart people have gone into that level of detail at some point and, ha- and have the means of addressing those issues. Absolutely. And, and we do. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to get into the specifics of the solar efficiency and the solar placement of solar panels, we, we have people who know that as well. Right. So, um, cool. Now, um, clearly you're not available in New Zealand at this stage. Um, but you did mention that you have not only your own factories, but you look to, uh, is it, do you operate under license through other factories? We're just starting to uh, bridge to a, a, a standard where we're occasionally subcontracting, giving our specs to a subcontractor and having some rigorous quality control to make sure the subcontractor builds it to our spec in a geography that we're not in. Yep. And I, I, I do see a, a model growing from that where we would license our technology to uh, local builders, particularly internationally, maybe do some kind of joint venture. We've had a, a lot of interest from uh, Asia, particularly China, about some of our products. But I, I would see that this would be a very, very relevant product for both Australia and New Zealand. Yep. And um, and we'd be uh, willing to engage with uh, key members of the construction value chain in that part of the world. So Right. Where uh, where are you currently doing most of your um, homes, and and where also can people find out more about you and and the company? Well, our website is is uh, zeta z e t a designbuild dot com. Uh, at this point, we're mostly U S centric. Uh, almost everything we've done is in the U S. Uh, we um, uh, have talked about some projects in Hawaii. Most of our single-family and multifamily homes are in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is on the west coast of the United States. Uh, we also have our first product in the southeast in the Louisiana, New Orleans area, and uh, in the northeast in the, in the Boston area. Um, we have a range of everything from single-family to multifamily uh, residences and some commercial structures as well. And if you look at our website, you can see our processes for building it and some of our reference sites. So, um, and, you know, I, I think every member of our team would be available for a call uh, or a Skype yeah. session like this. I uh, Oh, that's good to know. Uh, and I've already directed a few people to the time-lapse video, which I know some of our audience have already checked out, which is fantastic because it really shows – the process uh, very well, and and for those that haven't seen prefab in in um, operation and this type of construction, it's, it's a great little summary of, of what's possible. Yeah, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, now, uh, just before we uh, finish off, have you got a book recommendation for our audience? You know, I I. Uh... I, I've done this completely unrehearsed. Uh, I did not get the example questions in advance, right? <laughs> That's so, fine. So I, I really don't have um, a, a book recommendation. I, I, I will refer people to the, you know, the first generation of, of single-family module homes, Michelle Kaufman designs, and some of those because they're just fabulous. But uh, I'll, 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 I'll be thinking about a next book, and, and hopefully we can have another session where I, I give my. Uh, my recommendations on a book or, or reading that would uh, stimulate further discussion. 
No, that's uh, that's good. And um, I, I, yeah, more background on on the history of prefab. Uh, we've already had a bit of discussion about that on um, the show already, and it's definitely there is interest there. Looking at where it's come from, and uh, that sort of helps point the direction of what's possible for the future as well. And the Modular Building Institute (MBI) um, oh, does yeah. have. Um, a lot of materials on that, and uh, I would recommend that as a good site. And I don't know offhand if it's MBI, MBI.org or Modular Building Institute, but you should Google that and, yep. and, and search that because they're, they're trying to lead uh, uh, the perceptions in a, in a different way than the historical ones. Right. Hey, thank you very much for your time today. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, I love what you're doing and uh, how you're disseminating some of the information. So, all the best for the future. We'll, we'll keep in touch, and uh, maybe if someone is interested, they can get in touch to uh, hopefully accelerate bringing that sort of technology to places like New Zealand, Australia, and, and, and around the world. We'd love to be helpful, and thank you so much for your time as well. Great, and uh, have, a, have a great Independence Day tomorrow. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, thanks, Howard. Bye. Well, there you go. There was Howard Koenig, the CEO of... Zeta Design and Build. Pretty amazing stuff, and I definitely encourage you to head on over to the zetabuild.com website and check out some of the photos, including the video there of the houses being constructed inside the factory. A few uh, learnings from that for me. The first one was the uh, how's it answer to the question about what the, what the biggest challenge is, uh, which is change and perception in the marketplace. And I, I think that's a really interesting point because we have a similar issue here in New Zealand and I think it's the same elsewhere, that it's not necessarily technical challenges. We know how to do things a bit smarter. It's about communicating those and overcoming some fears and perceptions, some existing perceptions of the way we do things. So that was number one, the biggest challenge being a, uh, I guess, a, 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 um, a psychological uh, one and a marketing one. Secondly, quick deployment. I think that's one of the the really interesting facets of this modular design, uh, modular building, and it has some real strengths. And uh, Christchurch was mentioned briefly there, uh, which Howard picked up on. But there are other places in the world where people need houses quite quickly. And I think the interesting thing, coming back to the first point, is that that is a real strength, but it's also a potential negative because people see the quick deployment as temporary. Uh, and it potentially reinforces that message. So there is a bit of a marketing challenge there, I think, uh, to to use to take the benefits of being able to produce something on-site really quickly, but also reinforce the fact that that doesn't necessarily mean that's a temporary building. And uh, um, quite uh, permanent buildings can be constructed in this manner. The final main piece of learning, I think, is around the idea that there's just so much uh, good stuff, um, potential, good potential for this type of construction. I mentioned there that um, all those things together are about timeliness, energy efficiency, uh, reduced waste. It almost sounds too good to be true. And I know that there are some limitations like transport, but there are so many good reasons to rethink about the way we do build houses and to bring some of that construction indoors. Primarily, uh, in particular, from my point of view, the energy efficiency, and, and how I mentioned there, it was, was three, three facets to that. There was the energy efficiency of the individual components and, and uh, 
fabricating those, the assembly of the whole house, and then also the energy efficiency of the end result. So that's a energy efficiency winning on all three stages of the design, building, and then living in that home. Anyway, uh, that's enough for me, uh, Elrond. I hope I answered some of your questions. I got some of your questions answered. I feel that I, I probably didn't get it to quite to the level that you would like. I encourage people to jump onto that website, um, maybe drop them a, a message. They're, they're pretty active on Twitter, and they look like a very uh, proactive, well-connected well company, pretty keen on, on out reaching out to their consumer space. So I wouldn't be surprised if you did reach out to them personally and they respond back to you. Mention that I uh, sent you over there and see what they say. Anyway, that's it for me. Look, I really do appreciate people tuning in, listening. Uh, it's been fantastic. Got some new subscribers to the mailing list, which is awesome. And I'd really love it if people could spend a couple of minutes heading over to iTunes and leave a quick comment in there. Give us a star rating. Um, you can leave a comment as well. And if you do do that, make sure you email and tell me because I can't respond directly through iTunes, but I'd love to put a shout out to you on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, really appreciate your company and we'll tune in again next week for Homestyle Green.